Thank you, everybody, for joining another Prague Report Top 5 podcast. Hope you've been enjoying all the programming and shows we've been trying to present. Uh, if you've checked out Prague Report Radio, that's on our Facebook page and website, also through the Live 365 app. And uh, we've been trying to bring some unique perspectives in addition to all the interviews and things that we've done over the last few years. And uh, it, it keeps getting better and better. We've got uh, a really cool and surprising panel here uh, discussing one of the more difficult subjects we're going to discuss probably that we ever do on these top fives, which uh, we're approaching the Dream Theater top five songs. Uh, typically, we might do albums, but I think the reason why we decided to do songs here is albums pretty much is there's a consensus more or less what the top three or four would be among most dream theater fans and i'm not sure that would make for uh, a too uh aggressive debate so songs becomes a lot more difficult and um i'm going to go ahead and introduce the special guests we have here uh first off is a former sony music executive and dream theater super fan who goes back with the band a long 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 way and he'll get into a little bit of that uh, i'd like to introduce kyle graves What's up, guys? How you doing? Thanks, Kyle, for, for being here. Um, Kyle and I met over the last many years at various concerts and Neil Morse festival events and cruises and all that. And uh, he actually contributed a couple of pictures to my book the uh, that we just came out. If you haven't seen that, I, I'm, it's impossible to have missed it if you're on the Prog Report at this point. Um, the Essential Modern Progressive Rock Albums book. Uh, and he gave a couple of pictures on the Dream Theater Images and Words album, which... Uh, thank you for that. And um, so uh, I'm really excited. We have an amazing, really special guest here who has a really close tie to some Dream Theater stuff here, um, Mr. Eric Gillette. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us, man. I'm sure you have way better things to do than mess with two music nerds here, but thank you for doing it. <laughs> if I actually don't, so is that <laughs> I, I, I do want to point out that actually this coincidentally, there's – Minutes ago, really, that we're broadcasting or recording this this uh, show was the announcement of the Morse Fest uh, 2018. Oh yeah, uh, that that's coming out. Which um, I mean, we get to see Eric Gillette play drums live finally. Which yes. I'm just waiting for all the comments. Like, what? Uh, where's Mike? <laughs> I've seen some, and people people <laughs> there, there are a few people out there that aren't aware what an incredible drummer you actually are. Um, and I think, I think they're going to be that. surprised. I mean, I've seen some videos, I haven't seen you play live, but I know you know your way around a drum kit for sure. Well, I, I'll just make loud noises, but I'll, I'll do what I can. <laughs> yeah. So basically that's, that's going to be a, a, a two nights in September 14th and 15th. First night is like a, a storytellers with Ted and, and, uh, Ted Leonard and Nick DiVirgilio joining Neil. And, uh, the second night is the premiere of, uh, the Prague rock, uh, musical that Neil wrote which uh, I guess you're part of the, the backing band with that. And, and that's going to be, it's called Jesus Christ, the exorcist. So who knows what that's all about? Yeah, it's, it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. The, as Neil put it, the usual cast of thousands where, you know, it's, I envision it being as big a production as all the other Morse fests, uh, strings, horns, singers, you name it. So I think it's going to be fun, man. I'm yeah, looking forward to it. No, that's going to be really cool and interesting. And for anybody that hasn't been to a Morse Fest, it's no matter what the the albums that are played, no matter what happens there, it's it's a fun it's a fun time and it's two two full days of just prog immersion like you've never experienced. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I recommend even, it. It's not even necessarily about the music anymore. It's become such a great community thing that it's it's like a big family reunion every year. And of course, the music's unbelievable. But just the uh, just the camaraderie and the fellowship and talking about really nerdy, obscure, progressive bands with with your buddies from all over the world is very cool. Yeah. And, and you know, we've all gotten to know uh, everybody there and everybody, can, you know, comes back year after year. And that, and that is what makes it what makes it cool. Um, just like with any of these things, like the cruise to the edge. Yeah. And um, if you go to these Marillion weekends or whatever it is, it's all about 
um, you know, start meeting the same people over and over again, which is, which is cool. It's been a nice thing. Um, anyway, let's, let's get started here. We got a, a lot to cover. I, I want to first jump in with Kyle, who, Kyle, you know the band, because I saw some of the pictures when you were sending me pictures for, for the book to consider. I mean, you have pictures with Mike and John and, and everybody from way back. I mean, we're talking before images and words. So how do you know the band on, on that kind of level? Well, so my, my history goes back, yeah, pretty far, you know, maybe not as far as, as some, but certainly farther than others. Um, back in 89, uh, I had a coworker and we would always talk music and we kind of knew each other's tastes. And he comes in one day and he slams a cassette tape um, on the counter and he says, I hated this, but you're going to love it. <laughs> and it was one uh, day night. And he was absolutely right. I took that thing home and it was like my, my horizons just exploded. You know, I was a fan of Queensryche and Fate's Warning and some of the progressive bands of the, of the time. But there was something different about When Dream and Day Unite, the musicality of it. Of course, the production is terrible. Uh, it's hard to listen to, which I understand a lot of people you know, don't like the record for that reason. But the songs were there, the, the songwriting, the, the chops, um, the lyrical content. It just blew me away. <laughs> so I played that cassette nonstop for a year until it just snapped. And... Um, so somewhere around 91, I got my first CD player and uh, went to look for it on CD. I couldn't find it anywhere. At the time, I was managing a record store. This was before I got my job with Sony. Um, and I call a friend at the label at MCA Mechanic, who put out the first record. And I said, hey, you know, I'm looking for a copy of this on CD. And the guys were like, who? Oh, Dream Theater? Oh, yeah, we dropped them. Yeah, they're done. <laughs> and, uh, you know, nobody cared. And I thought, OK, wow. they're they're these one and done bands that they're just going to come and go and nobody's ever going to hear from them again. And so I thought, well, I opened up the cassette and there was an address for the band. So I, I literally wrote the band a fan letter. And, uh, you know, b back in my day, kids, when, when we wrote letters, uh, <laughs> I sound like I'm a hundred, but I'm, I'm not that old. But, uh, you know, I wrote the band a letter and it wasn't so much a, a nerdy fanboy. I love you guys. It was just like, Hey, I love the album. I'm looking for it on CD. Is there any way I can order it from you? And a couple of weeks go by and I get a handwritten letter on Dream Theater stationery uh, letterhead. And it's the original Dream Theater logo, by the way, not the classic images and words logo that we've all come to know and love. Um, and it was the, it was a handwritten letter from some guy named Mike Portnoy. And so uh, basically it was like, hey, thanks for you know, being a fan and good news. We've got a new singer. We've got a new deal with Atco Records and we're going to have a new record coming out. But um, until then, here's a phone number of a record store in Long Island, New York, that, that they definitely have the CD because I was Dream Theater's hometown. And he said, if you call them, maybe they'll send you the CD. And, you know, you have to this was 91. This was way pre-Internet and there weren't even a lot of mail order companies back then. Yeah. So I give them my credit card and they, they send me a CD and I was a happy camper. So not to make the story too long, but uh, fast forward another year. It's now 92. I'm talking to a friend at uh, Atlantic Records. He's the head of the metal department for Atlantic. And he says, hey, let me tell you about this new band we've got coming out. It's their debut album, a band called Dream Theater. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. First of all, they're not a new band and it's not their debut album, but I'm your guy. I love that band. And uh, I'm, 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 I'm going to do everything I can at my record store to help promote it. And so um, for the first couple of months before Pull Me Under came out, I know a lot of people came on board when uh, Pull Me Under came on MTV and radio. He was doing sales tracking. My friend at Atlantic was doing sales tracking with record stores all around the country. And he told me week in and week out, I was selling more copies of Images and Words than any store he was tracking with. So he got word back to Mike and Mike was in his office one day and he called he called me at my store just to say thanks. Mike gave me tickets and backstage passes to their show at uh, at the Bayou in Washington, D.C. in October of 92. Wow. And that, that was my first time meeting the guys. And it was just, you know, they literally nobody knew who they were at that point. Um, it was just the five of them and me and, and my then girlfriend, my now wife, sitting backstage hanging out with them. And to his credit. You know, Mike has remained a loyal friend, like, what is that, 26 years now. And what I think is really cool about him, we all know him as sort of the, the torchbearer for progressive music. You know, 
right up until the end of Dream, when he left Dream Theater, he was doing the set lists and he was doing you know, all sorts of special content and things like that. Take it back 26 years, 28 years actually, to the original record, and the guy's answering fan mail and handwriting letters out to people. You know, I just I, I give him a lot of credit for being the the flag bearer of of Prague of all things Prague. So <laughs> there you go. There's a there's a long long story for you. No, that's awesome, man. And I think that you know what I've always found out with these artists that have been around for a long time and have big fan bases and 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 a lot of success is that stuff like that that you don't always know they do but they those are the people that go the extra mile that do the extra interviews with stations that do the extra meet and greets that reach out to fans there's a reason why people stick around and are successful i think it always comes from from stuff like that absolutely he is a fan first and he knows what it's like to to love a band so he has given the same thing back to every single band he's been in you know eric was your first time getting to know mike through the neil morris band stuff or what, or prior uh personally yeah yes yeah, um, a small intro, which can kind of segue into the first uh, pick, if if you want. But yeah, uh, go ahead. You can go first. My That's first great. real introduction to Dream Theater was well, actually, my first introduction to Mike, which would also include John. Was I went to a G three show in Fort Worth, Texas, in. I'll probably get the year wrong. And the funny thing is that Mike would know exactly. He would know what date it was. <laughs> and I think we've even talked about it, but I, I can't remember. It was probably around, oh man, 99 or, two, or 2000, something like that. I, I'm, I'm probably a little off, but anyways, it was, it was Satriani, Vi and Petrucci and Petrucci played first. And I was going to see, you know, Satriani and Vi at that point. Um, I was pretty new to the whole guitar hero music kind of thing. And those guys were, like at the top for me. And so I was going there. I didn't really know anything about who was, you know, who was the first uh, player or group or whatever. And then all of a sudden he just came out and there's John playing a seven string. I think he's played the first song was jaws of life, which is just this heavy seven string riff. And I was just like, what is going on? And then Mike's back there (laughs) on drums, hitting himself in the head and throwing sticks. And uh, Dave LaRue was on bass. And it was just, my mind was just, Kind of like what Kyle said, his horizons were expanded. Mine were like musically expanded and instantly went home and got on uh, the Internet and was like just Googling. The only real name I knew or remembered was was Petrucci because it was like on my ticket. So I went home and looked it up and found uh, found out that he was in this band Dream Theater. And at that time, I guess one of the first things to come up was. Um, well, it's not really the first song I heard, but, uh, it's from the same album, but I ended up hearing a couple songs and one of which was Fatal Tragedy, which is actually my number five pick. Uh, I don't know. It's just what a thing to be introduced to the, to a band that way, but also like their first, the first thing I heard was from this, you know, giant concept album. That's, you know, not, not your normal listening experience especially for someone like me that i didn't really have any a ton of knowledge of what a concept album was or or anything like that i was really into metallica and and just more on just the heavy side and uh yeah when i heard that song i was just like blown away it had all these all these elements that i loved but you know hadn't really heard in music before you know i played keyboards i played guitar and uh, and these were all like kind of just mashed together in this song and that whole album actually. But, but yeah, um, the whole middle section with the solos and I, you know, at this point I, this really got me heavy into the band and I was like started buying Mike's drum DVDs and all, all this stuff. And, you know, cause I played drums too and all that at the time. And yeah, the middle section with like the, the drum nerds will know that, you know, it's Mike calls it the shrink and grow how like the rhythms are I was going to mention that part. Yeah, I know what you're going yeah. you're yeah, you're going to um, Yeah, man, I so I was just I was super that from then on I was, you know, a, a big big fan and uh the guitar and keys harmony at the end of that and I don't know, that was just really a kind of an aha aha moment musically for me when I when I dove in and 
you know, started figuring out all this crazy music they had and I wanted to know more and more about it. But uh, yeah, there you go. I'm glad you picked that one because that was borderline on my list and I it didn't it ended up not making my top five, but it was going to. And so but two things it's, I remember of that. Um, uh, one is that middle uh, part you're talking about in the song. I remember that was a lesson for me because I always at that time I, I had was, I'd been a fan for years, but I, I didn't really understand some of the math behind how they come up with some of this stuff. And in that DVD that he actually explained it, oh, yeah. you know, which was really cool. And I remember that we, you know, we play two of this, then three of this, and then we play three <laughs> of that and four of this and that, and they have it all mapped out. It's really cool to know. Um, and so even now when I listen to that song, I know how that goes to this day yeah. based on that. Um, and it's, it's funny the way he can explain it to, you know, you don't have to be a hardcore musician. I think I remember even my mom being around while I was, I would watch that DVD over and over again. And I think by the, Tenth time I've watched it, I think she understood it too. So it was pretty cool. <laughs> um, the, the other thing is, I was with um, a record label at the time around then, and I, I was part of Kyle. You'll know we had uh, Warner Electric Atlantic. Um, oh yeah. Uh, I was working for them down in Miami, and we got the advances for uh, the, the you know scenes from memory. And me and all my friends that uh, I had at the time were all fans <laughs> of, of that album, and that was one of the first times where. You know, we got the advances and I called them all and I said, you're all coming over tonight and we're having a listening party. And that was one of the first times I ever did that. And uh, that was that was amazing because to to uh, getting to work at a record label was cool already. But when you got to there were a few times where it was a, a band you really liked that was on the label that was putting stuff out. A lot of times it was pop and things you hated and you yep. were just working it. <laughs> But then we happened to have Dream Theater, which was like insane. And I was the only person that anyone knew that liked or knew who the band was that worked at the label. So, And I'm and I super jealous of your label because I definitely <laughs> wanted Dream Theater. Yeah, so that was like the, the score. It was the, the few times when, when you got that kind of stuff happening. So, um, uh, Kyle, what's your number five? Number five for me, and you know, kind of like the Neil Morse one last week, it's like those guys only had nine albums to choose from. We got like over a hundred songs to choose from here, so it yeah. makes it really difficult. Yeah. Uh, and my choice, as as Nick said last week from South Africa, uh, you know, my choice will change by the end of this discussion probably. But number five for me is uh, "Endless Sacrifice" from Train of Thought. Wow, cool. And and the reason there's several reasons I like the song. Number one, it feel features very uh, very cool, and, and a lot of them. Uh, Petrucci does Zach Wilde guitar pings. You know that. You know what's that called, Eric? What's the ping? Oh, uh, like a pinch harmonic. Yeah, totally. <laughs> that thing. Yeah, pinch harm. I knew that. I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it didn't. Anyway, this is that that great ping that he does throughout the whole thing. The song's super heavy. It's crunchy. But what I love about it is, at its core, it's a love song to his wife, to John Petrucci's wife, Raina. And, you know, it starts off mellow. You've got Jordan's, you know, beautiful keys going on there. And then it just kicks in. You know, the lyric is like, try to stay alive until I hear your voice. I'm going to lose my mind. It's like so intense. And then we go back into that beautiful melody again with the next verse. You got the extra crunchy, riffy breakdown right in the middle of the song. You got Jordan's little schizophrenic keyboard thing where it's like the, you know, that back and forth thing. Just killer stuff. And then at the conclusion, there's just this great resolution where, you know, John singing to his wife saying, striving for balance, we rise to the challenge of staying connected in spite of circumstance. And I, I just love the idea that you have a super heavy, crunchy song. And it's really just saying, I love you, babe. You know, it's kind of cool. <laughs> that is <laughs> awesome. Uh, very, very cool. I'm going to, um, yeah, I love, tr I love 
I want to talk about Train of Thought for a second. I love that album. I, I know I know a lot of people um, were upset that they went like super kind of insane Pantera heavy for an album, but um, at the time well, I was upset about that. <laughs> I, yeah, at the time I was into Pantera, and so I thought, hey, this is cool. Um, and uh, I liked that they kept going in that mo- mo- direction a little bit more rather than. The opposite, which I'm sure the label was always wanting them to do, is go more and more commercial. And they just, with every album, kept going less and less commercial, which was yep. really cool. number five so i had i basically knew my top four sort of easy five was down to about five songs that i couldn't figure out um where to go i i i'm gonna give honorable mention to to um uh, octavarium and change of seasons and scarred which I'm going to say didn't end up making my list but they were all going to be number five i ended up going with erotomania um, which uh, I know Dance of Eternities, I guess the more complicated and, and appreciated instrumental, but this was just always my favorite instrumental and I wanted to include an instrumental in my top five. Um, it, to me, it's as good as anything with vocals. It has a vocal melody on guitar for me. I think it's just memorable, perfectly written, and especially at the time, going back to 95, I guess, when this came out, I just hadn't heard anything like it. Um, the only other guitar solo stuff I was listening to was really Satriani and, and as much as I love him and still do, he wasn't writing stuff like this. And, um, so yeah. And I, I think I, I could probably sing it like hum it, uh, every guitar note and drum fill. If you asked me to, I know it, I know it it so precisely. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my number five. I, I like what you said there. Like, there's a there's a vocal melody line in there in the guitar because I, I know exactly what you mean. I feel that way about um, Surfing with the Alien. You know, Satriani. That was like the first record that I went. Oh my gosh, you don't need vocals. Like, yeah. you can you can sing these songs even though nobody's singing them. Yeah. Um, cool. So let's see. Uh, let's keep the order going. Eric, uh, you're number four. Okay. Yeah. Like like y'all have been saying, this is this really hard to get stuff down to five, but uh. Um, I put number four as the great debate. Um, I just love the whole tone of this song the way it's, it kind of just sneaks in with the, with the, the keyboard and it slowly adds elements with the drums and then the bass. you know, I don't know. I just, I love everything about it. Obviously it's in seven. So what's more prog than that? Um, <laughs> and I, I love the, you know, it's about stem cell research and it doesn't, it presents, you know, the, both sides without really taking one, which yeah, I think yeah. is cool. And then interestingly, I, I mean, you guys probably know, but I really didn't know this, but there's, they put all the left wing sound bites on the left speaker and all the right wing sound bites in the right. I didn't know I that. Was, and that is awesome. That's really cool. That sounds <laughs> like a, that's a total Mike Portnoy thing. If it's not, I would be blown away that someone yeah. else had that idea. Yeah. But that's when that, when I figured that out, I was like, that's totally, that's something Mike would come up with, which is totally cool. And, you know, to find that out after listening to it for however many years, is uh, <laughs> it's cool that you can find little nuggets like that, even. Awesome, awesome but, dirty prog observation. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I see, <laughs> I know you that. can learn something. Yeah, it's it just keeps on teaching. But I, <laughs> I love how it's obviously influenced by Tool. And that's one of the things I love, 
about this band is how many that their influences are so broad. I mean, anything from from Tool, Metallica, or to, or to even you know lighter stuff like U2 or whatever. Um, I I just love that that they infuse their music with so many different, and they're not afraid to do it or even do it on the same album. You know, on the same album that has something super heavy. So. Yeah, when I when I heard the bass come in and all this, I was like, "This is totally tool. This is awesome." Um, so yeah, that song always uh, stuck out to me. The solo sections are ridiculous, as always. But uh, yeah, I've always loved the whole vibe of that song. So I always like the ending where Jordan's keyboard part comes in. It's like really towards the end. He has this really yeah. cool keyboard part before sort of the last minute. And uh, yeah, I love that song. That song is awesome. That whole album is amazing. That, that barely got inched out of my top five. I yeah. Whoa. Yeah, I was wondering if we're going to have any overlap here. but We might we're not, because it's so diverse. There's like, so many, yeah. Yeah. You know, that's why I didn't want to do albums, because no matter the order, yeah. you know, it's going to be images and words, scenes from memory, you know, six degrees. Yeah. It's just not going to vary much. And so um, I, f I figured this would be a, a lot more challenging. Uh, Kyle, what do you got? For me, number four is uh, The Spirit Carries On from Scenes from a Memory. Wow. And uh, I know a lot of people would choose Home or Finally Free. Um, but for me, this I love the Pink Floyd influence on it. Obviously, James's vocal delivery is very Floyd-esque. Um, John Petrucci is playing very much. He's channeling his inner Gilmore there. And you got the, the female vocals at the end. It's just all very – it's very Floyd-esque, but it's got that Dream Theater stamp on it, you know. And it's always a crowd pleaser because we all sing along to it, don't we? You know, every, every one of us listening to this podcast right now, when you've seen Dream Theater play, the spirit yeah. carries on. It's just one of those like – like you're in a beer garden in Germany with a beer sign in your armor. <laughs> One of those great songs. But um, so that's what I about the song itself. And then I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a real quick story here. What makes this song very special in, in, my, in my subjective opinion is the infamous uh, fire marshal show that happened in L.A. on March 2nd of 2000. You guys familiar with that? No, I don't think so. Okay, so there's, there's bo been bootlegs flying around for years. So um, uh, hard to believe it was 18 years ago now, but they come back out. So they've played a full set. It's awesome. Amazing. They're just on fire and they come back out and uh, they start playing. The spirit carries on. Well, the band gets to the point of vocals and James is nowhere to be found. So Mike just kind of starts casually singing into his mic and, and uh, looking, you know, everybody's looking on the sides of the stage we found out afterwards that James, um, from what Portnoy told me, he was literally being detained by the fire marshal and the police saying if he set foot on the stage, he was going to jail. So, yeah, anyway, James is detained. The band is slowly being turned down. The audience is singing louder and louder. And it was just this great communal rock and roll moment that, uh, that I'm sure none of us are ever going to forget. And the funny part, just to add a little postscript at the end, we're all peacefully exiting the building, you know. We're not happy about it, but we're leaving. And the L.A. police is there in full riot gear with shields and helmets on. I can only assume they thought we were like a Slayer audience and we were going to burn the city down. <laughs> and, you know, but we're Dream Theater fans. So we walk out and I remember I turned to one of the riot police and I said, we're not those kind of metalheads, dude. Relax. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. And that was it. But it for funny. me, it's kind of cemented that song in my mind for all time. So go out there and look for it. I think the, the bootleg that's out there is called... Um, scenes from a fire marshal or something like that. Oh, so that's that's my number four. I, I did not know that story and I'll check that out. That's awesome.
All right, my, I'm still on my, my number four. So I have a few weird choices. I think they're going to be weird choices, but uh, it's just stuff that I like, and there's certain reasons behind some of these, like like for you guys. When I first got out of college, I mean, I had been a Dream Theater fan, Images and Words and Awake and all that. And when I got out of college, I went directly to intern at a record label at, at WIA, which I eventually ended up working at. But right around that time or shortly after, while I was there working in the mailroom, uh, Dream Theater released Falling Into Infinity. And, uh, it, you know, it's like going back to that, it was like people don't remember there wasn't Spotify. There wasn't access to music like this, like there is now. It was getting the advance to something like Falling Into Infinity uh, at that time was like the holy grail of, ev- of being a music fan. Like that was everything. I was like, yeah, I'm making no money working in the mailroom, but I got the new Dream Theater before everyone. I made it. I'm happy. <laughs> so, uh, and, and so then because of being with the label and stuff, when they came around town, I got to go to the show and meet the band that was the first time i got to meet the band that had definitely was was my favorite band at the time um and uh so that while while not i I guess it's not considered the best album falling into infinity gets sort of a bad rap uh my number four is trial of tears which is one of like three epics that are on that album which to me are worthy of everything they've ever done uh you know and i still think that if their first album is falling into infinity. I think more people like it. Um, you know, it just wasn't what images <laughs> and words in awake was, but if, if considering the rock that was out at that time, no band was putting stuff like trial of tears and lines in the sand on an album. So at the very least you had those songs. If you were a prog metal fan and trial of tears has always been one of my favorites. Um, it has a killer chorus, just, uh, it's memorable. It's got some cool breakdowns. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's, that's my number four. And it, that was easy for me. I, I've always liked that song. Yeah. There's a song it's, from that album. I agree. I mean, that album is, is overlooked. It definitely has its moments. Um, hollow years for me was, was an honorable mention that, that I tried to squeeze that in the top five, but I love that song. You know, it's a simple kind of mellow ballad, but they, they had some great stuff on that record. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Back to Eric, number three. All right. Uh, number three, I have The Dance of Eternity. Um, seems like a kind of a obvious choice for a musician. But uh, yeah, in, in my opinion, that's one of the one of my favorite instrumental songs ever written and recorded. Uh, it's just completely crazy from beginning to end. And I love that and all the time changes and... Uh, going back to the drum DVD thing I had, you know, where he breaks down, he's like sitting in front of Mike sitting in front of the console and he's just pointing at every time change as it goes by. And that was super cool as someone who was into music, but at that time, odd time signatures weren't, I wouldn't say my, the thing I knew the most about. I mean, I knew maybe some really basic ones, but when I, it, that drum DVD made a lot of stuff make sense for me. And it, it, even just generally in music, not just drumming. Um, and I said that a lot growing up. And that's one thing I love about, about Mike is that, you know, he's a, a drummer, but he's, he's a musician and not every, not every uh, person is a, a well-rounded musician like that, that understands, you know, what's going on with all the other instruments and the, you know, the technical side and, um, the theory behind it and all that. Not that you need to know that, but it was, it was super cool. And it, it opened the door even more for me for understanding this kind of music and how crazy it can be. But also, you know, um, there are other stuff is they're not, it's not all that crazy, but, uh, that song was just one of, one of my favorites still is to this day. And, 
uh, yeah, so that's my number yeah, three. Dance that song Eternity. is that song is insane and was was yep. close to to my top five, but I, I sort of figured you might have it. just go because you've one of the few people on earth to have the honor to actually play this song live with the you know shattered fortress that that you did recently um in learning that song and playing it with with mike were did you learn it sort of by ear as as a musician like playing the the music back and forth or did you break down the parts like on the drum dvd or how, how did mike work that song out with you how did you get to the final um I love this question because it usually people are kind of like, I don't know. I don't know what the right word is, but like, yeah, we just, he sent the songs like, and was like, here's the list. So, and that's, that's honestly, that's how it is. in every, you know, on all these groups I play in, if, if it's not something we wrote, if we're doing a cover or whatever, it's just like, here's the link to the file. You know, it's, it's not, there's not a 12 page sheet music you know, that you can read and automatically be able to play it, which for me, I prefer to learn by ear. And what I had working in my favor favor was how much I already knew about this song and this album because of the drum DVD and stuff like that. Because one of, I wouldn't say the only hard part because the whole song is very difficult, but one of the main things in order to even think about playing the song, you got to really understand the, the timing of all this, all those changes. Yeah. And, and for me to already have that song ingrained in my brain where, you know, I could air drum the thing, you know, because I just listened to it so much growing up. So that really worked in my favor. I can't imagine trying to learn it from scratch, maybe having only heard it a few times. Right. Uh, but it was definitely one of those things when, when we got the list of, you know, what songs he wanted to do. That was kind of one that I was like, Ooh, <laughs> like, I mean, but that's, that's. It's, that's a great thing, I think, because it really pushes you as a musician. Whenever you get, you know, a, a song that you're 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 sure in your heart that you could eventually play it, but at first you're kind of like, ugh, that that always ends up being a good thing if you put in the time and and work it out. But uh, yeah, that that's a song, and I I still, I mean, I played it on the cruise. Mike was awesome enough to come out and join me for a couple songs. But that's a song that once you learn it, like I will still use that kind of as a warm up. I say warm up. You have to be warm <laughs> to play it. But once I'm warm, as an exercise, I mean, because it, it just it's so crazy and it's so much different stuff packed into like what four minutes or four and a half, I don't really know. So yeah. it's not super super long, but as a guitar player or, or even drummer if you're playing it, it's one of those songs that, that it's it'll work. It'll work you hard. So I still keep that fresh. And also I keep it, I like to keep playing it because I put in all that time to learn it. I don't want to forget it. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Awesome. Anyway, let, me, let me just say, I, I flew down to Mexico City to, to rock out with my Brazilian and Mexican brothers down there. And to eat tacos. <laughs> and eat tacos. We, we ate some awesome tacos. And uh, I, I saw Dream Theater, I think, 53 times before Mike left the band. And I heard them play that song multiple times. You you played it as good as I ever heard it, man. You guys were on fire, but particularly, oh, you know, man, thank you. I was standing right in front of you, and uh, of course, trying to get you to smile or crack crack a smile it never worked. You're in the zone, but well, uh, dude, yeah, you, you told you told me to make the rock faces, not smile. So. <laughs> well, that's, that's true, <laughs> right? No, you can't smile while you're playing that song. That doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, awesome, awesome choice, Kyle. You're third. Number three for me was uh, is learning to live. And, you know, we got a, a rare lyrical appearance by the silent man himself. Um, I really like these lyrics, and I know a lot of other Dream Theater fans over the years wondered why John Myung didn't, didn't write more, because um, I just thought these are really interesting lyrics. They sounded different than anything um, Petrucci was doing, or Portnoy, or, or Kevin Moore, for that matter. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, the song itself is very hopeful, which is something I see in a lot of Dream Theater music, except maybe like 
like honor thy father or something. Yeah. That, that was just mean and angry, you know. I love that but, one. That was an honorable yeah, mention, sure. by the way, for me. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So, you know, um, the way your heart sounds makes all the difference. It decides if you'll endure the pain that we all feel. Uh, and it makes all the difference in learning to live. Again, just very, very kind of hopeful, positive song. But even more than lyrically, I love the arrangement of that song. Um, the way the music flows, the way it builds, the way that like Petrucci's like climbing a mountain, right? And he's just, he's scaling the top of this mountain. And just when you think he's at the top, there's the, there's like a false ending. And then he comes back in and he goes to the next highest mountain. You know? <laughs> and, you, and you can hear his uh, Alan Holdsworth influence in there, Al Di Miola influence. Um, the guitar solo at the, at the eight minute 40 mark, if you guys pull that up. Yeah. Um, from there to the end of that song, I think is some of Petrucci's finest recorded guitar playing. I mean, it just blows me away every single time. Mm. Yeah, love that song. I agree. One of the best <laughs> for sure. Number three for me is uh, Blind Faith from Six Degrees. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I, I, it, my, it was close to being number one. I just think it's the most perfectly prog song. Uh, you know, Six Degrees is all sort of different styles. The, the Glass Prison is metal and Great Debate is, you know, kind of like Tool. And then they got like that opera thing on, on the second disc. And uh, But Blind Faith to me was always just, that's their prog sound. That's that's the images and words, you know, sort of middle of the road, and they just do it perfectly. Jordan Rudis's piano breakdown in the middle is insane, um, mm -hmm. and uh, I love John Mayung's bass line in the beginning. The whole thing, just one of my favorite songs. Um, and I sort of liked that the chorus on it always was. It, it became aggressive, and it didn't. It wasn't like a cheesy fist pumping chorus for some reason. I don't know. That always appealed to me in that song because they could have gone you know innocence faded or something on that chorus that being the, that song the type of song that it was but they didn't and i thought it really kept the song kind of grounded um yeah and uh yeah so that's uh, i don't know if that's an obscure choice or not but because i think no. a lot of other songs get more run from that album but that's always always been my favorite that's yep. one of my favorites and and honestly i what i really wanted to do and um, if this was an album choice that would be up there for me that the whole double disc and i was tempted to make the second disc a song one of my top <laughs> songs technically i could yeah but uh i, so we, I did we always argue about that i was asking kyle about that right we talked about that and i yep. i always felt yep. like it's not one song i know the band says it's one song but i have a hard right. time considering it one song I get right. that. Yeah, totally. It, which is and, cool. And the band is wrong. Let's just be yeah. <laughs> They don't know. What, what they know. But, you know, I've always loved Blind Faith. That's It's such a great song. The solos and everything in that. It's amazing. Sorry, you must excuse me. I guess we're up to me. Uh, my number two. Um, I'm gonna have my number two is home, and I swear I'm not picking wow. all the songs I got to play in Shatter Fortress. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you <laughs> just, are. That that just should show you how even more surreal that experience was for me to get to play all like I literally got to play like a lot of my favorite songs. So it was it was incredible. But yeah, home was actually when I was talking about it earlier, uh, the G3 thing, and then and then hearing. Uh, Dream Theater for the first time after that. This is actually the first song I ever heard. And I was just completely blown away. I mean, the, 
first like the whole sitar thing in the beginning and not really knowing like what that if that's real or a keyboard or even the even the keyboard solo i remember i was letting my friend hear it and he thought the keyboard solo was a guitar solo and he thought it was some really weird pedal he was using or something so it's all these weird little cool elements that you know i was trying to figure out and uh it really is like the music i wanted to hear but i didn't know i wanted to hear it yet because like i said at that time i was really into metallica and just you know straight up heavy metal kind of stuff but i don't know it sounds weird to say but yeah it's like i i wanted to hear that but didn't know it really existed yet i I know exactly what you mean that I, I mean, I was a Dream, long, Dream Theater fan long before I knew Spock's beard, but when I first heard Spock's beard, that's how I felt also. Mm. Like, th- I've always wanted to hear this. I, I didn't know it was the, existed. Right. You know? Yeah, getting uh, the first thing we heard when scenes came out uh, before was just a cd single that they passed around the label and it had the uh, it had home and uh i think an edit of uh, of uh, one of the other songs or something that's all we got sort of passed around um and uh and it didn't say metropolis too and i uh, speaking with mike on it was deliberately they didn't say that the album was going to be called Metropolis 2, Scenes from a Memory, until the very day the album came out. They, wow. didn't want, they didn't want anyone to know it was the sequel to Metropolis. So on all the promo things that went out to radio, everything, it only said Scenes from a Memory on it. Wow. Very cool. Which is, uh, which is a cool little piece of trivia. Uh, yep. Kyle, number two. Number two for me, I think, uh, probably would be a, a favorite of a lot of people. And you mentioned it earlier, Roy. Change of Seasons comes in at number two. Um, for me, this this was a holy grail of a track back in the day amongst the early fans. We'd heard word, there was like rumor spreading of this epic 20-minute track that they'd been working on. And, you know, remembering this is way pre-internet, right? I mean, uh, when, when we first started hearing about it, the song was actually written in 89, and it was revised a bunch of times between then and when it came out in 95. But um, the only band that had done a 20-minute progressive metal song that I was aware of was Faith's Warning had done Ivory Gate of Dreams. And, you know, you had, like, Maiden dip their, dip their toe into the progressive pool with, like, Rime of the Ancient Mariner and Alexander the Great. But as far as a straight-up prog metal band doing a 20-minute track, this was like, you know, we were ravenous for it. We were like, we couldn't wait to hear the song. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so um, I was lucky enough to be at the, the very first live performance of that song. It was in uh, March 4th in, of uh, 93 in New York. And I was supposed to be like a five-hour drive from where I lived in Virginia. But it took about eight hours because I was in a blinding rainstorm. <laughs> but I got there just in time. The band went on, and it was like this big sigh of relief. And then, uh, you know, obviously we all know the lyrics of A Change of Seasons are about Mike's mom tragically dying in a plane crash. Um, and to this day, no kidding, to this day, when I when I listen to it, and the line comes up, she looked me in the eye. I said, I love you. And then there's that pause, and then it just says goodbye. Yeah. Gives, gives me chills every time. Yeah. Every time. You know, and, and I, I love how the lyrics are just so well written using life, a metaphor of life and the, the change of the seasons as the earth rotates, you know, just brilliant um, lyric writing, in my opinion. And so when I saw them perform it in, in 93, that was a full two years before it was officially released. And to this day, I'm, I'm, I'm a dad. Roy, I know you're a dad. You know, my, my son is 11 years old. And every time I listen to it, I think of these lyrics. Um, uh, seize the day I heard him say, life will not always be this way. I think of that lyric when, you know, I'm busy on Facebook or YouTube or just doing my thing. 
and my son actually wants my attention, you know, I, I go, life will not always be this way. He's going to be off on his own soon and hanging out with his teenage friends and things like that. So I just get a lot of inspiration from, uh, from a change of season. So that's number two for me. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I remember getting that when it came out and, uh, I, I was, uh, you know, we're so used to now the 20, 30 minute epic. I feel like there's a new one by another band every day, but it's like yep. you said, Kyle, there was, that wasn't the case then. Um, nope. and, uh, uh, it, it just was something like how it was like a, a magic trick. Like, how did they do this? How do you write this? <laughs> yep. You know? Um, yeah, we had, we had fanzines back then and basically word of mouth. There were no, like the, even the AOL chat rooms where you finally got found other prog fans. That wasn't until like 95 or 96. So, I mean, when this, when this song was still being worked on, it was just people telling, you know, friends telling friends about it. Yeah, I, I I almost feel guilty not including in my top five. It it really is. It's 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 five A or something. But uh, I just <laughs> it's it's not one. I, I I think the only reason why I didn't go with it is just I don't listen to it as much as some of the others. That was sort of the deciding factor for me. Just but but by a by a hair is is right. the only way I could do it. Um, yeah, but that's that's one of the best ever for sure. Okay, so my number two. Uh, I, I, it'd be funny if if your number one ends up being this choice because you because you said it's completely out, out, out of left field. Um, I went with Count of Tuscany from Black Clouds and Silver Linings, and I think I don't know why it's my number two, but I love it so. I it's a song I just love so much. I can't explain it. It's it's perfect. the 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 opening arpeggio thing is is just amazing. Um, of course the solos are nuts, but I, what I really like about it is, is the acoustic ending to the big buildup at the end, which, um, is just driving in my car, sort of arm waving, like I'm at a show. I just think it's awesome. Um, and, and it's the last song for Mike being in the band, which is sort of weird. I don't, I, you know, it sort of feels like a conclusion. It has like sort of this big conclusion sort of sound to it. Um, but, uh. That was my. I just thought by that point in their career, at least for me, I hadn't been happy with some of the albums leading up to Black Clouds. Again, I always preface it by saying everything they do is good, but I just Systematic Chaos and Noctivarium were sort of not my favorite albums, and 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 I guess it was hard to live up to the stuff prior to that. And Black Clouds to me was such a sort of rejuvenation. Um, and, and such a triumph. I thought it, I think it's one of their best albums. Um, and that's my favorite song from it. And, uh, still something I listen to all the time. Now, wait a minute, man. I, I kind of didn't pick it because I thought one of y'all would. So okay, cool. <laughs> right, um, yeah. No, no, I agree. I mean, I think that's that's a surprising choice to me. Um, for me, off that album, uh, you know, Shattered Fortress, um, and even the best of times. I mean, I love I love Mike's love letter to his dad. You know, I think the the lyrics are interestingly written there as well, just kind of recounting a life together. 
But Count of Tuscany is a great tune. It's not one that even made an honorable mention list for me, but still an awesome song. It's like, you know, we talked about it's like the same thing with Neil Morse. The worst of Neil Morse or the worst of Dream Theater is still better than anybody else. You know? Yeah. I mean, I could easily have put In the Presence of Enemies on my top five and been totally satisfied. Like, yep. there's random songs all over the place that are, like, just tremendous. All right, are we down to the finals? All right, this is cool. All right, number one, Eric, what do you got? Oh, number one, I have The Glass Prison. This is wow. this one's always been one of my absolute favorites. I mean, I remember when I popped the first disc in, I was in my car, and you hear the static, and I'm like, what's going on? And then the bell, and then all of a sudden just, and then, like, all those drum hits, and... It's just the fact that it's like an onslaught from the get go once they come in, and like then I mean it's just one thing after the other. The the guitar arpeggios come in, and it's the drumming is insane. It always is, but this for this track it has always been like some of my favorite uh, recorded drumming from Mike, and it's just one of those that if I put if I put it in or it comes on I got to hear the whole thing and and uh, drum along to the whole thing and. I don't know. It's for me. It just it kind of has everything that I like of a of a prog song, but uh, you know, obviously more on the heavier side of a prog songs. And this one just does it for me, man. And um, yeah, I think even my wife likes it. I mean, she had to hear it a few <laughs> times when I was <laughs> learning it. But it's just got I don't know. It's something super catchy about it. That riff and I don't know. Just this one does it for me. So that's my number one. Uh, it's killer. I mean, I was, uh, again, when you, that was coming off right after scenes from memory, which is sort of all out prog. And then the first song on six degrees was this, which was like, wow, yeah. they really up, took it up a notch. Number one for me is um, is not just my favorite Dream Theater song. It's actually my favorite song of all time. And it is, uh, I, I have, being in the music business for a long time, I have, I have a CD collection of about 15,000. So to be number one, it's a very special song. I can pretty much guarantee it's not on anybody else's top five list or even top 50 list, maybe. But it's uh, from When Dream and Day Unite, it's only a matter of time. Yeah, for and, sure not. But yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, awesome. that's funny. Awesome. I like I like to not conform to the norm, um, even amongst progressive music, which doesn't conform to the norm. So the song starts out with Kevin Moore's keyboard sounding like a trumpet blast, announcing like a, a king's arrival or something. It kind of sets the tone for the song. But the song itself is all about that. It's about not conforming to kind of normal standards. Um, which to me is the very definition of prog. You know, when I really started to get heavily into progressive music, um, I went back as a, as a late teenager and started digging into the Kansas catalog and, you know, stuff that came before me. And to, to hear this song, I think it, it ticks all the, all the boxes. Um, one of the things that, that I am kind of sad, upset about, I lament quite often is the fact that we have a very finite amount of lyrics from Kevin Moore because I think he was a genius lyricist. And uh, I love his choice of, of vocabulary. I love a very poetic way of putting things together. And so, you know, I hate to be so nerdy and break down lyrics, but doggone it, we're on a prog podcast. <laughs> it's what we Prog-cast. do. <laughs> it's what we do. We, we break down nerdy lyrics. But the lyric in that in that song it says, "A dream-stricken prince of a pauper's descent." I love the play on the prince and the pauper, and probably my favorite lyric of any Dream Theater song is, "I understand mine's a risky plan, and your system can't miss. But is security, after all, a cause or symptom of happiness?" 
I think that's brilliant. Uh, it speaks to even then their ongoing battle with record companies trying to, to put them in a box and make Dream Theater more poppy and more radio friendly. Um, you know, they wanted to do what they wanted to do. Yeah. And there was an original lyric I, I, I heard on one of the demos um, for Dream and Day. The original lyric for that line, I asked Portnoy for, because I couldn't, I couldn't pick it out. And he sent me an email once. It said, imperative counsel to obstinate minds searching for lifelong submission to dutiful crimes. Mike was like, I have no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> super, super nerdy. So he like dumbed down the super nerdy to just almost, you know, very nerdy. But um, so that's that's my number one. Only a matter of time when Dream and Day Unite. I encourage anybody that's actually listening to this. I'm sure Dream and Day is probably at the bottom of most of your lists. If you don't go back and listen to the whole album, go back and listen to that one song. Because the ending is so hopeful to me. It's uh, The last line of the song is, but if faith is the answer, we've already reached it. And if spirit's a sign, then it's only a matter of time. And it's all about like not giving up, not conforming, be who you want to be. You know, just just go for it, which it's kind of a universal positive message. So yeah, like, are you getting paid to push when Dreaming Day Unite? It sounds I, like I, it. I think you bought stock in Mechanic <laughs> Records back in the day or something. I, I wish I did, believe me. I'm telling you, <laughs> that album means so much to me that, uh, and nobody else, I never ever have a conversation where somebody goes, Yeah, I love that record too. <laughs> it's always like, no. <laughs> like, it's like the Sham Wow guy with, but with when Dreaming Day Unite. <laughs> but wait. It just, it, you know, it, it, it's a, it's a fine album. It's just always, it's different to me. It's not really dream theater as we know it, you know, it was sort of, they became what they, what they were albums later. They sort of, that, for me anyway, that's how I always yeah. sort of looked at it. But. Well, they were, they were young kids and they were wearing their influences on their sleeve. You could definitely hear the rush. Yeah. You could hear the Metallica, you know, and the production was terrible, which makes it hard to listen to, but it's just it's, it's got a special place for me. I, I not a fair comparison. I may and and maybe this isn't right, but I sort of feel like Haken's first album is is that for me, where, where I like it and there's some really great stuff on it, but it sounds to me like they're trying to be Dream Theater more than than what they became later, <laughs> which is their own right. band completely. You know what I mean? That makes yeah. Well, I'm, I'm the fortunate person of uh, in my number one position of picking the only repeating song between our three lists because oh, uh, my number one is Learning to Live, which oh, Kyle yeah. had at number three. Um, and, uh, you know, I, it's weird because for me, Images and Words was like life changing. And I and I write about that in the intro in my book. Um, it's sort of uh was the beginning of prog metal for me that album it it just was like oh i didn't know you could make this kind of music this is this is what i'm going to do you know and mm -hmm. then every band i joined playing guitar and all that kind of stuff back then our our goal was to not repeat choruses to not repeat parts at the risk of alienating <laughs> anybody that wanted to come to a show and you know, it was just based on the blueprint of Dream Theater. That's all it was, all everything. I mean, um, and and so picking one song from that album is hard. And while Metropolis maybe is more significant, sort of in a way, Learning to Live was just always my favorite song on the album. Um, I think it's as perfect a song as the band has ever written. It's as perfect a song as you can write. Um, and the ending, the whole harmonic thing to close off the ending, I just thought was just so ingenious. Uh, you know, he's yep. not doing a guitar solo. He's just playing harmonics the whole way out. And how cool is that? No one's ever done that. And uh, <laughs> with the with the woes, with the, you know, over, over that and all yep. that, it, it, just too epic, too epic for words. 
Um, so, uh, yeah, that's, that's my choice. Um, it was hard, but you know what? But I think we, between the three of us, I think we got all the good songs pretty much. I'm surprised Octavarium was not listed. That's the only one I thought might be on, on some lists. Cause I always see a lot of people think, saying that's like one of their best songs. To me, yeah. to me, that was definitely an honorable mention because I had already had Change of Seasons in there, which was a long epic. So I, I didn't want to put that in, but I love Octavarium. Um, Shattered Fortress, Scarred, Panic Attack, Constant Motion, This Dying Soul, Space Divest, all those were honorable mentions for me. Yeah. What's one you struggled with leaving off, Eric? Um, actually, I really like Scarred. Um, what was the other one? Six O'Clock, I just always loved the drumming in that. Um, there was one other that almost made it. What was it? Uh, I'll think of it in a second. Yeah, those two for sure, though. Yeah, but the the drum opening for six o'clock alone is in the drum yeah. drum fill Hall of Fame, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cool. All right, well, oh, guys, I think I'm this. Is, father. I'm not father. Oh yeah, you said, you said that earlier. Honor thy father. <laughs> yeah. Uh, cool. Well, guys, thank you so much for doing this. It was a lot of fun for me, and I think hopefully a lot of people will have learned something or enjoyed this. I think it was very cool, and to have somebody who's actually played with Mike and knows this stuff. Inside and out, yep. Eric Gillette. Thank you so much, man. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thank you. It's a blast. Very cool. Can and, I can, uh, I say, can I say can I say two quick things? Yeah, please. Number one, if anybody that's listening to this has not picked up Roy's book, oh. pick it up. It's awesome. It's a beautiful book. It's very insightful. There's a lot of it's great pictures in there, but there's a lot of great insight to some awesome records that have kind of laid the foundation of Prague over the last 25 years. So that's number one. Number thank two. You, if you don't own both of Eric's solo releases, go buy them. Don't steal them. Don't download them. Don't file share them. Absolutely. Support the band because they're awesome. Oh, I've had the, I've had the great unknown in my CD player for a year, and over a year. And it's just awesome. So unless we support artists like him, independent artists that aren't going to make money otherwise, he's not going to be around to make another record and another record and another record. So go buy his music. Uh, I second, man, those thanks, words. second those words for sure. Uh, it's an honor to know both of you and to, to be able to call on you for stuff, something like this, which was, which was great. And I guess I will see you both at Morse Fest. If not, uh, I don't imagine sooner, but I think that'll be, that'll be when. Nashville, here we come. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Guys, see you at the take Waffle it House. Easy. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Bye. <laughs> see you guys. Bye. Bye. bye.